0: just talk to everybody. Tell everyone what you want to do and where there are people willing to help you, just take it. Take it all in.
1: All right. Um Sherry, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh welcome.
0: Thanks. No problem, Anton. Happy to help.
1: Yeah, awesome. So, uh why don't you just uh, get started by uh, introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do.
0: Sure, Um, so my name is Sherry Chu. I started a charity called ALS Double Play. And um, what we do is raise awareness for ALS and we fund ALS research. Um, I started the charity about five years ago. Um, My brother Christopher had been diagnosed with ALS when he was 32 years old. Um, It was a huge shock to the family. We didn't know anything about ALS, um, didn't actually know anything about it and the more I learned about it, the more I realized that I wanted to do something more significant to help the ALS community. Right, okay. So, yeah, I don't know if you want to know more about um, the... Yeah,
1: just just go right into it, yeah.
0: Okay, so um, ALS is actually quite devastating. Um, right now, it has no cure, and um, we're sort of bubbling under the brink of finding um, some kind of way to help the disease. So, they are looking at therapeutics, and in the US, they are um, looking at clinical trials right now. So, it's really exciting what the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge has done to help ALS. Um, but it's still a disease where um, Every 90 minutes, someone gets diagnosed with ALS, and and at the same time, every 90 minutes, someone dies. It is a fatal disease. Um, So what happens is um, in our bodies, we have um, neurons that each have a specific job. And with ALS, um, we have motor neurons that go from our brain to our um, over-voluntary muscles. And for some reason, with ALS, uh, these motor neurons die. And what happens when these motor neurons die is that you start to atrophy. So as you um, are not able to use, say, your leg, um, so the muscles in your leg start to atrophy and you're no longer able to walk, or your grip strength in your hands um, are affected. Um, So little by little, all of your voluntary muscles start to die. Um, And the one thing that's pretty crazy about ALS is that your brain is left intact. So for the most part, um, five to 10% of people do um, experience some dementia, but for the most part, um, people with ALS know exactly what's happening around them. So their brain is left intact. They're totally, they're emotional. They know exactly what's happening to their body that pretty much crumples around them.
1: Right. So it's just all the uh, ALS pretty much just in the brain, it stops all of the uh, physical, Uh, functions like moving your arms and legs stuff like that but uh does it does it infect uh, affect like the internal organs or anything
0: no not really but the last thing that happens is your breathing um no i mean it can be um something that like it can affect something that will in turn affect your internal organs so for most people they're not able to um eat after some time because they're swollen and becomes difficult um and so a lot of people with ALS get feeding tubes. so um then you know their swallowing is sort of impacted but as far as your actual organs they don't they don't really die if that's what you're asking like they don't really right. get impacted
1: okay understood and so you know it it seems that you know it, it is great that uh, uh about five years ago we had uh, the Ice Bucket Challenge bring a lot of attention to uh, this, uh, you know, this condition. And um, yet, we still don't really know all too much about it. We just know that, yeah, it just sort of stops you from moving. Um, I didn't know, like, how, how, how does one treat it? Like, is it just, could you <laughs> explain yeah, more about sure. that? Yeah, um,
0: sure. There's actually no treatment for ALS right now. Absolutely none. So when My brother became sick with ALS. The best we could do for him was make him comfortable. Um, It was a pretty crazy road for him, for the family. You know, he was a very independent young person. He, like you, had his own business. He was actually a photographer. I don't know Mm. if I I told you that, Anton. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. You've told me that.
0: Yeah. So he had his own business, and um, so for him, and he was um, really. Uh, physically fit, like he played volleyball once a week, he repped soccer, he played golf, he rode a motorcycle, you know, he was living his best life. um, When he became sick, it started for him in his leg. Um, What happened was he started limping and he didn't know why. Um, And then uh, his grip strength became really difficult. So as a photographer, I'm sure you can imagine that would be really hard to be able to not carry your camera. For a while, he um, had an assistant who would carry his camera for him, and he would direct the shot. And that was kind of his way of being able to continue his work, but that really didn't last much longer. Um, he, I think within a year, had to stop driving. He was driving a six-shift car, too. <laughs> <laughs> it would make us kind of nervous towards the end. But um, we, you know, we trusted that he knew what he could do. Um, so we didn't want to take away things from him before he was ready to lose one. So yeah, um, there's really no treatment right now for ALS. And uh, that's what's difficult. And also, um, the other thing too, because they don't understand exactly where ALS comes from. Um, there's no test. There's no definitive test for ALS. Um, so when Christopher was going through um, testing to find out what was wrong with him, it took just about six months for them to to deduce that it was ALS. And even then, um, you're not entirely certain until after you die in um, an autopsy of autopsy them.
1: Wow. And at what stage uh, of his um... Uh, did, did he, uh, was he diagnosed with it? Like, was it the after the limping po- problem or was it after the grip strength?
0: Yeah, so um, a couple of things happened. So because he was playing sports regularly, he recognized pretty quickly that he wasn't, his body wasn't doing what it normally would. So, you know, when he was playing volleyball, even his friends would notice that he would miss shots that he normally would make. Um, and then the limping started after that, um, and that's when he started doing testing. Um, and so the progression happened as you know he was doing his tests, but um, they say now that once you do once people are diagnosed with ALS today, um, it's about sixty percent through your body already. So even if there was treatment, um, the treatment that's being tested right now does not um stop ALS really it will slow progression so it's not even as if um right now we could you know have a treatment that would stop you from or reverse anything like would give you back say your first mm-hmm. strength or give you back your normal movements um so that's why I think um for ALS testing or sorry, research is really important right now.
1: Mm-hmm right and so that was, uh, you know, I asked all these questions because, uh, um, you know, I, I think it's important that we understand the background f- behind, you know, what you guys do at ALS Double Place. So uh, could you just go, you know, switching into what you guys do? Uh, could you just expand more on that? Like, uh, what are the things that you uh, raise money for? Sure. Um,
0: so I think... For me, when I started ALS, what I wanted to do was know exactly where the money that we were raising was going. Um, And so we have a um, contract with the University of Toronto where we fund one postdoctoral researcher for ALS for three years. So we've already actually completed one fellowship, and the fellowship is named after my brother. So it's the Christopher Chu Fellowship for ALS Research at U of T. Um, And so we have completed one fellowship already that was with Dr. Philip McGoldrick, and he actually, in his time of being the Christopher Chu fellow had published a paper in an international neurology magazine, which was really awesome, which is totally difficult to understand, but he was (laughs) really good at explaining it in non-scientific terms, what he was studying. Um, and today we have a new uh, doctor that we are funding, and her name is Dr. Agnes Lau. Um, and as far as like how we raise money and what we do day to day, we have the number of events that we hold around the GTA every year. So we've done um, we've done the movie nights, we have done um, volleyball tournaments, uh, we have our 5K walks that we do annually, and, um, we have a yoga event
1: where you do yoga for three hours. Oh, okay. All right. So you guys, uh, uh, it's the, the fundraising goes primarily to research, but then also a little bit to, um, raising awareness. And, uh, you guys primarily raise that through various, uh, fundraising campaigns and, uh, you said a run and a couple of other things. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. This is, uh, it's going to be a little bit different from a little other my of my uh, podcast episodes. The people that I've interviewed um, are people who saw something, they went, yeah, I kind of want to start my own business around that. Whereas uh, from what I heard earlier in your story, it seemed like you found that there was this need that that needed to be addressed. Uh, and, and so you uh, went into that. Could you explain... Um, A little bit of your uh, uh, your life before uh, going into ALS Double Play and starting it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, So you know, I took the traditional route. I went to um, university, did an undergrad, did a grad degree. Um, I worked for um, government for about eleven years, um, and. Then I went into uh, management consulting for about three years. Um, in is when my brother became sick, um, and when I started to learn more about the disease. And I guess, like, as I was working in the industry, I—I I don't know—I felt like I wasn't really making a difference. I mean, it kind of sounds cliche, but I don't know. I just felt like, I guess, maybe after my brother became sick. There, it was like this realization that there's so much more and maybe there's so much more i can contribute um and i remember meeting dr janice robertson she's the lead researcher at the university of toronto for the als research lab so i met her at this event and um instantly we had this connection and she has become a really great friend but i remember that morning meeting her and she said to me you know your family has been so great at um raising money already for the disease and she said I can see something in you that you're going to make a real difference for us and I was like okay yeah sure you know and even before then when I was working in government my brother would call me and and just bug me at lunchtime and be like oh you know where I'm going for lunch today I'm doing this and I have all this time I can do other things and and I would say to him, like, stop building me. And he's like, you know, you could have this all too. All you need to do is start your own business. <laughs> and I said to him, you know, I no, I'm good. I'm good working for somebody else. I'm, I'm good just following what someone tells me to do. I, I can do that. You know, and I didn't think until, you know, Christopher was sick and we were in the middle of this. And, you know, I was thinking, like, we need to, we need to do something to help the community because how like my thing was always how can we send people to the moon and we can't understand ALS? You know, I was like, there's gotta be a way. And um I think just fundraising um wasn't going to be enough for me. Like us participating, the family participating in different fundraising events for ALS wasn't going to be enough. Like I needed to do something and take the lead on it. Um, and so I remember I actually came to this realization when I was working on a project in Africa <laughs> and I was sitting there in the middle of the night and I was like, I'm going to start my own charity for ALS. And, um, you know, I came home from there and you know, I sat on it for a while um, and, you know, I talked to people about it, but kind of like cautiously because I was afraid of it. Um, and I actually had people tell me that I was crazy. It wasn't going to work. I wasn't going to ma- make enough money to sustain myself, um, and that it was really difficult with the CRA. Um, but I did it anyway, and uh, here we are five years later. And uh, mm. I think it's going well. I mean, COVID nineteen is going to be a bit of a struggle for us this year, but um,
1: right.
0: it doesn't. You know, research can't stop for this disease. So.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. So you basically had started off in a very traditional route, um, and uh, one th- after your brother had been diagnosed, uh, I guess sort of uh, after you you and your family had been fundraising for a while, you you sort of uh, had this uh, you know had been thinking, and one thing led to another, and you ended up uh, starting ALS Double Play. Were you uh, still working when you had started it? Um, or w- did you go f- like full-time? When w- How did that work out?
0: <laughs> so on paper, I started it while I was working. Um, but I had to leave um, almost immediately um, management consulting. And I started working for um, another charity. So I worked for a hospital foundation um, in the meantime to learn how to run a charity. Because as much as I kind of knew how to fundraise um, and run events, I didn't really understand the ins and outs of having a charity. Um, So I had this opportunity to work for a hospital foundation, which was amazing because it was just about the right size. You know, um, there were less than 20 people working there. I had access to all the directors and the president and also with the hospital um, senior management too. And, you know, everybody knew that I had started this charity and I was there to learn and they were really amazing about sharing their experiences with me. Um, And, you know, the president was amazing about saying, Sherry, this is, you should pay attention to this, or you should talk to this person. Um, And so I really appreciated that time with them. And after my time was done with them, I wasn't sure I was ready to go full time, but I just did.
1: Mm. Nice. So yeah, you, Uh, it's great that you were able to uh, find uh, basically kind of mentors to to sort of help you figure out how to run this your own thing. Um, And yeah, I think that's an important lesson that a lot of uh, uh, young starters uh, can learn is, you know, try to um, whatever uh, thing that you're trying to start, whether it's uh, a career or you're trying to start a business or a nonprofit, you know, try to learn from people who have who have done it and walked those same paths as you and uh, gone through the same struggles and let you know, oh, this is how you overcome this obstacle. This is how you overcome that obstacle. And yeah, it it seems like you really found a lot of value in that, would you say?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, even today, it's like being able to reach out to them and ask them questions or people that I worked with at the foundation, like, I'm struggling with this. Like, what do you think about this item or should I try this provider? And it's been really great still, even today, that they've been able to answer some questions that I have. So yeah, I would definitely say like anyone wanting to start something is I think two things, like just talk to everybody. Tell everyone what you want to do. Um don't be afraid of it. And and where there are people willing to help you take it, take it all in, you know, make note of what they're saying to you and, uh, and really listen to it. I think that's, that's one of the things, I mean, you know, you talk to people all the time and, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're listening and internalizing what they're trying to teach you.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Excellent. Um, and it's, it's great that you're able to f- find that uh, support system, uh, and, you know, we can't go uh, through any of this alone uh, oh. as as uh, as business owners or as uh, uh, nonprofit directors or leaders or whatever. Uh, we, we have to rely on the help of, of other people because that's, you know, that's what society is. That's it's how we run, by helping each other out.
0: Yeah, and I have to say, like, um, I have a board of directors as we need to with charities. Um, and a lot of the people on my board, are really good friends. Um, Women that I have worked with in the past who, you know, they've always been friends, but now they're stepping up and they are volunteering their time to help me run this charity. And I'm so grateful for them because without them, I mean, there are definitely things I don't know how to do. And, And that's okay. But I have people that help me do those things. And it's it's really important to have that support system, too, where you can find it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so if you have that, is, is that support system with you um, at, at home as well? Like, uh, what do your uh, friends and family feel? I know we, we talked about this earlier before we had um, uh, scheduled this podcast, but yeah, could you just yeah, talk more about um, uh, what, you know, family and friends and uh, that your close loved ones uh, think about you running this nonprofit.
0: I think um, my my parents were nervous, definitely, for me to do this. But yeah, I mean, they believe in it, also, right? They understand the importance of it. Actually, it's funny because my dad, he has been a philanthropist his entire life, and um, he is having a a hard time with the fact that I can only raise money for ALS like he you know he's like well why can't she still help this this and this cause right um so he has a hard time with that but he understands the importance of um what I do and ALS double Play. um my friends that help out are amazing that are on my board they are very supportive um and then we I'm one of 19 Grandchildren on my mom's side, and the cousins are amazing. I have a few cousins that literally volunteer for every single event I have, and they are incredible. The others help where they can, and share, you know, on social media, share um, our events, and you know, get their their family to come, their family and friends to come out to our events as well. Um, My partner actually runs his own business, Um, and sometimes we. we definitely clash um, because he sees me doing things in a completely different way than how he started his own business 25 years ago. Um, So that can be interesting, but I, I have to, and and this is a really good lesson for entrepreneurs and people just starting out is don't think, don't take things so personally. (laughs) And, you know, I have a hard time, especially when it comes from someone you love. it's hard when they they tell you like you should be doing this or you should consider that. And um, sometimes I think you have no idea. This is totally different as a charity, but yeah, it does translate. And if I just take a moment to step back and listen, then I can probably learn something there. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I am, you know, for the most part surrounded by people who definitely support um, the charity and what I'm doing. But yeah, my parents have friends that still ask when I'm going to get a real job. So <laughs> that, <laughs> that's also a stumbling block sometimes too.
1: Right. And it, I, I find it so interesting when people ask that, uh, when are you going to get a real job? Like, what does that question even mean? You know, if, I know. if, if you're getting, if you have a, a salary that, you know, pays all your bills, then that, it's so weird. If you're like the number two, if you've been hired as like the CFO of a company of a large company, then they become really proud. But if you're the one who started that company, they, they still ask, when are you going to get a real job? It's very strange how people think.
0: It is really weird. And you know, I think for, you know, when my brother first started, it was the same. And I was maybe like that with him as well too, right? Cause, cause you don't see them. You don't see this traditional work life and, um, you know, you may see me taking a hot yoga class midday, but that just means for me that I'm working later into the evening. And I find I do that a lot anyway, because for the most part, I'm, I'm the only employee of ALS Civil Play. So everyone else that helps me has a full time job, which means they're responding to my questions, um, and my requests after hours so that means I'm also working after hours as well so I think you know we need to find that balance in our days and if that means I'm going to yoga in the middle of the day then that's fine
1: (laughs) right yeah and you know I find that it's always and even if you're doing something in the middle of the day that other people would do uh after work then it doesn't matter because you're still always it's it's hard not to think about your job or or your business or your organization, you're just I think that's a problem that some of us have with, is' just we, we're always thinking of, about the the issue about uh, the problems that we can solve or new ideas that we have. Is that something that you have as well?
0: Oh, yes, completely. Um, and actually, I think it comes to me a lot too when I'm walking my dog, if that makes any sense know when you're outside and you think you're not thinking about work but all of mm-hmm. a sudden something comes to you and you're like oh where's my phone I need to take a message right. for myself so I remember this
1: it's always the mundane activities
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so would you would you say that's like a, a big problem that you you have um you know trying to uh, separate your yourself from uh your organization as like do you ever have trouble With what they call, you know, work-life balance.
0: Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think um, when I'm thinking about um, the charity, it's. I think it's only because I need to make it better. I want to do something different. I want to make it interesting. And I really, it's funny because I really like to talk out loud about it with other people to see their take on things. Um, And that's sometimes where I get new ideas from um, or insights on on what I'm doing um, when you're just talking to random people about things and I think you can't be afraid of that I think before I was like no more I shy to say what I do but I shouldn't be Um, what I do is great and we are affecting change in the ALS community and we should be proud of that you know, and talking to other people about it is just helping them learn and learning insights from them as well.
1: Excellent. Now, uh, what would you say has been the uh, biggest struggle uh, of your, uh, of, you know, starting uh, ALS Double Play, like, or even before that, what would you say is the, the biggest problem that you, ha- you have had to overcome?
0: Um, I, I would say, like, the biggest, is feeling not ready, or being fearful that you're not ready. Um, And I, you know, you hear it all the time, there's never the perfect timing for anything. So you just got to do it. You got to just jump right in. Because I think um, I had already done so much, so much research, I had already in my mind so many things that i wanted to put into play. I was just afraid to take that first step. And you know, there's I w- or I was waiting for the right time. There's never the right time. There's never going to be enough money. There's, you just need to just jump right in and do it. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. <laughs> even sometimes, you know, when you think of, oh, I think I'm going to try this. It's like a new idea or thought. Um, even sometimes I struggle with just jumping off and doing it, you know?
1: Right. Just taking the action, taking that leap. Is uh, sometimes that you find, is that something you find is your, like a current struggle that you're going through?
0: Um, I would say it just, it comes up every once in a while. It's sort of like when you're not 100% sure of something, just to, like, I would hold back a little bit, but um, I'm trying to just. You know, like how they say you should do the hardest thing first thing in the morning or whenever mm-hmm. you start working, you should just do right. the hardest thing or the thing you're dreading the most. Um, I've been trying to do that. Like, don't leave it till the afternoon or later in the day or in the middle of the night. Just get up and do it.
1: So then what, what is uh, the, the typical day or week in the life of, uh, uh, of you know, run, the director of ALS Double Play? What does that look like?
0: Um, I would say most days they're the same. You know, there's uh, um, connecting with um, with my volunteers and making sure that we're on board with whatever project is coming up next. Um, I try and schedule myself a few meetings a week, so I'm not so alone, not <laughs> working at home by myself. Um, and yeah, and, and phone calls with donors, um, just checking in with them, especially during this Time is checking in with everyone to make sure that they're okay um, mm-hmm. and that they have what they need to move forward right now too. So right. um, I don't really, I can't say that I have like an actual what is happening every single day, but but mostly the same. You know, you get up, walk the dog, have breakfast, sit down, and start working. You know, see what is on the docket. But I do definitely try and schedule calls and visits with people so that um, we're getting in front of people and um, our messages getting out there
1: right and and I assume that if you have an event coming up that you're planning then that would be the closer you get the the more the weeks and days become about that said event
0: oh yes definitely definitely the more you'll see our social media presence ramp up or we're getting other people in there to to talk about the event coming up and you know all the operational things behind it that need to happen. I always joke with one of my volunteers that oh yeah don't worry I have everything under control all I'm bringing is like two things and then the night for the event I send. I don't know where all this stuff came from but apparently I needed more than two things for mm-hmm. this
1: event. Obviously right now things to be seem to be on hold for a little bit during uh, this whole uh, worldwide pandemic but um, what are some, uh, even if they're short-term or even long-term goals that you have, uh, for ALS double play?
0: So, you know, I used to say all the time that if we could raise enough money, I would love to buy this amazing live microscope for the lab at UT, right? Cause it's super cool. Like you can, um, they have one right now, but I'm sure that they could use another one. So what. Um, happens is they can like literally manipulate cells and watch in real time things happen under the microscope which I was like this is so cool you could totally use another one of these and it's about a million dollars right so you know and I used to say this all the time to um, the lead researcher and she said you know what Terry, like that would be great but what is most needed is people We need people in the lab to use those microscopes. So I would say, like, my next big goal is instead of just being able to fund one researcher for three years, like, let's fund three researchers at the same time, like three researchers at different levels for ALS, doing different things, or maybe their research research. integrates with one another, that would be really cool too. So I would think that's our next goal for ALS Double Play is to be able to fund more than one researcher at a time.
1: Okay, sounds really cool. And uh, so uh, like how much have you guys raised so far?
0: So, so far we have donated to the university over $200,000. Wow, excellent. Yeah, we're Um, pretty proud of that.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, Great. So what would you, uh, you know, this podcast is for those who are just starting out in their career, in their business or in their nonprofit, if they're starting one, Um, what would you say to someone specifically, if they're thinking of starting a um, a, a charity or a nonprofit, Um, what's a piece of advice that you would, you would give to this person who's just sort of at at the early stages of it?
0: Um, I think two things is find your niche. So whatever that is, that makes you different from everybody else and um maybe it's three things <laughs> don't be afraid to start it and i think the last thing is is live it every in every way you can you know um to tell your people tell people your story um don't be afraid to share it and i mean only you will believe in it more than anybody else no one will ever believe in your cause as much as you do so Don't be afraid um, of people saying no to you. Don't be offended by people not being as on board as you. Um, But just, you need to personify everything that you want to do for your cause. So everyone needs to see it, so you need to live it.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for that uh, piece of advice. Is there anything else that you would uh, like to say to the listeners?
0: Sure. you know, if you go to our website, um, I'd love for you to take ten minutes to watch um, our short film. It's called My Son Christopher, and you know, it's just a different take on life with ALS. It's it's told from the perspective of my mom, our our mom, um, and my brother when he was living with ALS. Um, and I think it's a great way to just you know to humanize the disease. Um, and if you can, come out to our events. And like we always say, we'd like to make ALS history with you.
1: Right. Excellent. Well, then, how can, uh, where can people find more about uh, ALS and, and what you guys do? Where, where, uh, yeah, where can we find you? Guys?
0: We're all on social media, and our website is um, ALSdoubleplay.com.
1: Great. And uh, your social media handles are?
0: ALSDIVILPLAY.com or ALS Double Play. So Twitter is ALSDIVILPLAY, Instagram is ALSDIVILPLAY. Um, we're on Facebook under ALSDIVILPLAY. So Excellent. just type that in, you'll find us. <laughs> All
1: right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I wish you uh, a lot of luck.